This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. As he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then they abandoned their nets and followed him. He walked along a little farther and saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in a boat mending their nets. Then he called them. So they left their father Zebedee in the boat, along with the hired men, and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Because God loves us, God continually calls us to growth in love and life. Growth in love and life very often involves change. And the change to which God calls us can frequently seem unlikely to actually be fulfilled. That's a point in these three readings that really jumps out to me. So let me show you from the readings why I'm saying this, and then I'll give you a couple takeaways for this week. First reading is from the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. This is written probably in the fifth century before Christ. It's an example story. It may be connected to people who actually lived in history, but the writers are very conscious this is a story, and we believe as Christians these writers are being guided uniquely by the Holy Spirit to give us God's revealed word. So in the story, what, which is based on historical reality, the Jewish people at this time have, among other enemies, the people of Assyria, long-term enemies. The people of Israel commonly believe that the people of Assyria are so evil, which they really are, so evil, that they're hopeless. There is no way the people of Assyria are ever going to turn away from their wickedness. In the story, God calls a prophet named Jonah to be God's messenger, to go to the Assyrians at their capital, which is called Nineveh, and to give a message to the Assyrians. The message is a call to change. The message that God tells Jonah to go give to the Assyrians is you are evil people. If you don't turn away from your wickedness, in 40 days, God will destroy you. Jonah, a secondary point, does not want to do this. He's a very, he's a jerk, a huge jerk. He doesn't want to do it. And when you stop and think about it, it is very unlikely, or it seems very unlikely, that what God is calling the Assyrians to do, the change that God is calling them to accept, seems very unlikely initially that that's actually going to take place. The Assyrians are, in fact, wicked people. They like their wickedness. The person who's being sent to call them to change is their enemy, Jonah. And if you add to that, Jonah does not like them. In fact, he hates them. He doesn't want to do this. In fact, he hopes that they won't change because he wants them to be destroyed. It just seems naturally, logically, entirely unlikely that God's call to change is going to happen. So what takes place in the story? 
In the story, Jonah reluctantly goes to Nineveh. Nineveh is, by the way, it's a huge city. The scripture says it takes three days to cross through this city. How is Jonah, even in 40 days, going to have that kind of impact that this whole people are going to change? In the story, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He's only one day into the city preaching 40 more days, unless Nineveh changes, it will be destroyed. And of all things, the Ninevites respond, the Assyrians, positively. They hear God's word. God's word enters into them, and they accept it. They declare a fast, and they go out and they do public penance. They actually turn away from their sin. The change that was entirely logically unlikely actually takes place. Second example, in, and if you say, well, that's a story, it's probably pie in the sky, that's actually a story that Jesus, the Son of God, cites in his teaching. So he upholds the truth of it. But here are two that are actually grounded in real human history. In the gospel reading we just heard, we're at the first chapter of the gospel of Mark. Last week we heard John's version of the calling of Jesus' first 12 closest disciples. This is Mark's version. The details are slightly different, but the story is absolutely the same. Jesus has begun his preaching of the kingdom of God. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he calls to two men, Simon, who turns out to be Peter, renamed, and Andrew. They're fishermen, just regular working people. They're at work. They're casting their nets. Jesus calls to them, and says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Somehow change your life, follow me, and I'm going to have you out trying to get people. Jesus walks along a little farther. He sees two more brothers, James and John, whose father is Zebedee, also fishermen, also at work. They're repairing their nets in the boat. Jesus gives the same call to them, follow me, and they are asked to do this, to leave their father, their father's hired people, what's going to happen? To repeat the pattern, on a logical level, it seems very unlikely that Simon, Andrew, James, and John are going to follow that call, that the call of God is going to be fulfilled. There's no evidence they know anything about Jesus. Maybe they know a little. They're at work. They have responsibilities. They have families. They have plans with their lives. Come follow me right now seems very unlikely to actually unfold. What actually happens is that God's Word, Jesus is God's Word, capital W, they encounter God's Word in Jesus. God's Word enters into them and they accept it and they immediately go and follow Jesus. They leave behind the people with whom they are working, and they follow Jesus. They don't abandon their families. They don't leave their families forever and ever. But they actually do, ultimately, those four about whom we know the limitations and their sinfulness more than any other people in the gospel. They follow Jesus' call to change more and more and more, and they're a principal reason why we're in this church today, because they end up doing this with their lives. They are models for so many people in this community who have actually done the same.
third of three examples. In the second reading, we heard again, we heard last Sunday from St. Paul writing to the early Christian community in Corinth. We talked about last week, these early Christians at Corinth live in an entirely immoral city, culture. They're new to following Jesus. In many ways, they follow Jesus, but they're limited, they're very sinful, and they're very much affected by the culture in which they live. Sound familiar? They are really messed up sexually. We talked about that last week. They have all sorts of divisions in the community, a lot of discrimination of people with wealth against fellow Christians without wealth, a lot of divisions over basic beliefs. They're really, really a mess. St. Paul sees how connected they are with the secular pagan culture around them. It's just reality. And in this passage, he gives them a call from God. He says, you, I'm paraphrasing, you need in your real life to accept the truth that we are living in the final stage of humanity. Jesus has promised he's going to return. No one knows the day or the hour, and he will judge the living and the dead. You need to put your relationship with Jesus at the center of everything, and everything and everyone else needs to be secondary. Your spouse, your joy, your sorrow, your business, your everything, you need to put Jesus first and foremost. Think about it. How likely is that call to change to actually be fulfilled. Just think about the world in which we live. You can look around this world and see people who have absolutely no connection to God. How likely is it that they're going to put Jesus first and foremost? How likely is it that so many of us who are baptized are actually going to do that? I have a family to worry about. I have a spouse to worry about. I have to make money. This is the real world. So what actually happens, what actually happens, and again, part of the reason you and I are here, many of them do it. They encounter the Word of God through Paul. It enters them, they accept it, and they change the way they're living to live that truth. So many people in this community clearly live that truth, and part of the reason to repeat is because those ancestors of ours spiritually chose to do it. So there's the pattern. Here are my takeaways for you. To repeat on purpose, very often we hear God's call to change, and it seems quite unlikely, if that call is true, that it's actually going to be fulfilled. God totally loves us. God is totally present for every moment of our lives. God is infinite life and love. So if you grow in God, God is always inviting us to greater love, greater life. Insofar as we're living holy lives, godly lives, love-oriented lives, that growth pretty much is welcome most of the time. But we're all sinful. We are all limited. God's call to greater life and love inevitably involves change. The change of my sin, the change of my limitations. God's call to change is always true. It doesn't change, it doesn't get altered because of my limitations. God's truth is the truth, 
is always the truth. God would never call you and me to any change that is not possible. That would be a fictitious monster God. God would never call you or me to any change for which God doesn't give us the grace. The grace is the whole, God's grace is the Holy Spirit alive on this planet to enable us to grow in God. Life is everything that's natural, including all of my limitations and my deep sinfulness, and life is supernatural. It's what is supernatural, grace, is entirely as real and it's eternal as anything that's natural. To put those two things together, you and I hear God's call to change through the scripture, through the authentic teaching of the church. We hear God's call to change through other real disciples of Jesus. We hear God's call to change because this world, this city, they are such a mess. And we've been called to be the instruments of God's change in this world. Very often I hear this. I believe it's probably true or I know it's true. And my realization is, I just don't think that's gonna happen. I don't think it's gonna become real. I have found in my own life that moment when I realize I don't think this is gonna actually be fulfilled. It's a key potential moment of growth. So here's what I invite you to do. When you experience that, and I hope all of us can relate to this, I hear God's call for me to change or for us to change is this. I don't think that's gonna really happen because of this, because of my limitations, because of my laziness, because of my sinfulness, because how much I love my sinfulness, because of my addiction, because of how messed up my family is, because how really messed up this country is. This is why, be specific, I don't think this is gonna happen. And then add to it, God is bigger than this. Whatever this is, God is infinitely bigger than whatever the reality is that makes me feel right now and think right now, God's call to change is not gonna happen. Some of you have been addicts. You know what it means. I hear, obviously, God calls me to be free of this addiction. I don't think that will ever, ever happen because I'm an addict. God is bigger than your addiction. And thank God many of you know this. God is greater than whatever this is. And if you accept that, and do what he's calling you to do, you will be greater than this as well. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.